So, Soul Food, we are coming to the close of our Soul Food series next week. Will be our last lesson, and then we will begin um, to talk about loving the Lord our God with all of our minds. All of our minds. If you're joining us, we started off the year with the vertical approach to our worship, our focus. Uh, we want to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and all of our strengths. And so we've broken down the year into those four desires that we have and uh, we've been talking about loving the Lord our God with all our soul and we're going to conclude that next week uh, prayerfully. Uh, so today we're going to continue on uh, talking about what the soul needs. Uh, last Sunday we learned that our deepest desires and needs come from within our souls. You know we we have deep desires and they're not all uh, they're not all bad. You know they're not all bad. Uh, one of the deepest of our desires is the need to be with God. Uh, we created, God created us um, to be with us. He was, he created man. He, he used to walk with man in the Garden of Eden. They, they spent time together. God created us to be with us. And our soul's neediness is there to point us to the only one who can meet that need within us. And that is God. And so... You know, since God has this infinite capacity to give, you know, God never gets tired of giving. God never gets tired of giving. He wants to give to you and me. He wants to give to us. And so God can meet any of our deep desires. We also talked about how remaining in him is not about sinning less. Right? Although I'm sure that wouldn't hurt. But it's, it's not so much as it is about sinning less as it is about being with God more. When you focus on God, when you focus on pleasing God, eventually you will sin less because you're focused on God. But when you focus on not sinning, what are you focused on? Sin, right? You're focusing on the very thing you don't want to do. And so it makes sense to focus on God because you want to be with God. You want to be like God. And so it makes sense to focus on God, and that's what God wants us to do. Today, I want to talk more about another need of our soul, and that's our soul's need to be free. Our souls need to be free. The Bible speaks of many things that threaten to trap and ensnare our souls. The first thing, our words. Here in Proverbs 18, verse 7, a fool's mouth is his undoing. And his lips are a snare, a snare to his soul. Have you ever said something you wish you could take back? You know, I'm pretty sure that, that some of us are probably still dealing with consequences of our words. Maybe there's something you said years ago. You've apologized more than a hundred times. And your relationship with that person is still not the same because you said it. Because you said it, or maybe you don't see someone the same way because of something they said to you. And, you know, for some of us, we avoid some of those relationships altogether. For some, it may even be some of your brothers and sisters sitting right here in this church. Maybe we carelessly said and uttered some words that, that we really didn't mean to say or that because of our sinful nature, we said it, and then we realized that it hurt someone, and you can't take it back. Once it leaves your mouth, you can't take it back. 
And if we're careless with our words, our words can actually become a snare to our very soul. Another thing that can snare our souls are our lifestyle, the way we live. Proverbs 22 verse 5 says, In the paths of the wicked lie thorns and snares, but he who guards his soul stays far from them. You know, I mean, popular belief is that all paths eventually lead to Jesus. That's not necessarily true. Because all paths don't always lead to Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about two paths. It talks about a broad path and it talks about a narrow path. And that narrow path is the one that leads to God. The broad path, because it's broad, can lead anywhere. But there's a path that leads to Jesus, and God wants us to be on the right path, not just on any path. Because if left, to, you know, most people will go down a path that seems well treaded, looks like it's safe, everyone's going down this path, there's, you know, but then there's a path that seems that has some challenges, that has some, you know, I don't know, that looks a little scary because we can't see the end of each path. We go down the path that seems a lot more inviting. And sometimes that's not necessarily the right path. And so the path that Jesus wants us to take is through hills and valleys. Psalm 23 says it best, that he, he, he guides my soul. He, 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 he walks with me through the valleys of what? Shadow and death. See, those paths are where we'll find salvation. It's those broad paths where we don't necessarily feel we need anyone to walk with us. We get tripped up. And the way we live our lives, if we're not taking care of the decisions we make, if we're not making wise choices, our lifestyle can lead us down a path that can ensnare our soul. Um, another snare, our relationships. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 26. This is a very... This is a very convicted passage right here. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Now this is coming from a man who had multiple wives and many, 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 many girlfriends on the side. So I think Solomon knows what he's talking about. I think he's speaking from conviction right here. He's speaking from experience. Because God told Solomon, shouldn't, you got to guard your heart. He was warned to not marry outside of God's covenant people. His, the people who had a covenant relationship with God. Because of the very reason he just stated here. They will ensnare your soul. They will lead you astray. You know, this is a very sensitive issue for some of us because we don't want people to tell us who we should and shouldn't date. We follow our hearts. If you don't agree, you're just hating. You're just jealous because you ain't got nobody. Don't hate on me, congratulate. Right? But the thing that traps us is not always obvious. A bad trapper will lay out a trap that's obvious. He'll never catch anything. But an experienced trapper like Satan will lay his snares and lay his traps in plain sight, but you'll never see it. That's the whole point of a trap, is that it gets us 
And it doesn't always have to happen right away. They put out the bait, it looks good, and our desire points us to it, we go to it, and boom. You know, God exposes traps and snares. God doesn't lay them out for us. In James chapter 1, verse 13 and 15, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. You know, sometimes we give more credit to the devil than he deserves. The devil made me do it. Well, according to James... You made you do it. Satan can only work with what we give him. If you don't give him anything to work with, guess what? He can't work. But it's with our own evil desires. When they take root, when they take over, that's when we get trapped. That's when we get snared. You know, I've seen God work incredible miracles throughout relationships. And I mean, I, I just, and it's, a, it's amazing to me to see when, 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 when two people desire to please God, things go well. It doesn't even have to start off the right way, but when there's a deep desire to please God, it just goes well. But here's the thing, desire is good, but when you want something too much, it can lead you into a trap. And our desires can betray us. Desire can lead you into making bad decisions. It will put you on an emotional roller coaster. You can want something so bad. One minute you're up, the next minute you're down. The next minute you're up, the next minute you're down. And now modern day roller coasters, you're getting twisted around and you're going backwards on roller coasters now. You go 10, 10 steps ahead, you get knocked 20 steps back. All because our desires have deceived us. You know, sometimes even de desiring the ability to have anything we want can cost us our freedom. Just wanting, just, just being able to get what we want can ensnare our souls. We need to be careful of wanting to be in positions where we can have what we want. Everything we want, when we want. That's not always a good place to be. Just because you desire something doesn't mean that it's good for you. You know, examples like Samson. Samson had an insatiable desire for Delilah. The rich young ruler was consumed by his desire for wealth. King Saul was consumed by the power of the throne and being king over all of Israel. Cain, he gave into his desire for revenge against his brother. How did they all end up? Trapped. Ensnared. You know, our souls crave to be free. But what actually, what does that actually look like? You know, sometimes there's a conflict between when it comes to our freedom. We feel a conflict. There's a deep desire within us, as the scripture says here in Psalm 40, to do God's will. I desire to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Have you just ever felt like, man, I just, I just want to please God. I just want to, I, I just want to be good. I just want... You know, I want to be happy, I want to be spiritual, I, I want to help people, I want to love people, all people. 
I, I want to, you know, I just want to be like Jesus. You ever just get overwhelmed by that feeling, that sensation? You just want to do right? And then you have this other desire, but I also want to be free. I don't want to have to talk to people. I don't want to be around people. I want the freedom to not have to return people's phone calls. I want the freedom to not have to return people's text messages. I want the freedom to tell people no. Be like Jesus, freedom from people. There's, a, there's these desires, and there's a conflict. There's a conflict. You know, this, the desire to be free, we feel it so deeply. And it's so deep that we're willing to fight for it. People have spilled blood for freedom. Even to this day, there are wars in countries. Civil wars going on right now because people want to be free. They want to be free. I mean, imagine, imagine you were driving and a police car pulled you over for going too fast, right? And you explained to the officer, you know, I just, I don't feel like I'm being true to myself going only 65 miles an hour. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being honest, when I drive, I try to be guided by my deep inner voice. And, and my deep inner voice was telling me today, you can go 90. You should go 90. So, Mr. Officer, don't try to impose your rules on me. When I'm driving, I have to be free. Right? Or, or imagine a man dating a woman, and as they enjoy a nice romantic meal, he leans close and says, you know, this was awesome. This, this was really awesome. But being faithful to just one woman... That would be too confining for me, you know? And, 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 and my, my, you know, I've grown to be in touch with my core inner self. And when my core inner self sees a woman around who's really, really attractive, it wants to stare, it wants to chase it, it wants to, to, to get her to respond. So I, I just need you to know that. We got names for people like those, right? I mean, that's not going to work in any relationship. The soul wants to be free, but we can't always do the things we want to do. The popular perception is that Christianity stands in the way of our freedom. Especially with like a lot of young people. It's thought that it's all about obeying someone or something that tries to tell you how to live your life. We want the freedom to live our lives how we feel and see fit. But people believe that Christianity is too restrictive because too often that's how most Christians have lived their lives. We want to delight in the law of the Lord, but the only problem is that word, law. We have a problem with laws and rules. I remember one time, and I'm confessing here, you got to pray for your preacher. There's a street off of Van Cortland Park over by Manhattan College, where if you need to make a left turn, you can't make a left turn. But it makes no sense because when you're coming out of the Burger King parking lot and you need to get back on to go north, you need to make a left turn. But there's no sign. It's, I'm thinking, well, why can't I make a left turn? That doesn't make sense. And so my core inner self was like, James... That doesn't make sense. 
You should be free to make a left turn out of this parking lot to go home. You shouldn't be restricted and follow somebody's rules and laws and go all the way down the street and have to go and make a U-turn. Bro, I think you should be free to do what you, what you know is best. And so I obeyed my inner core self, and I made a left turn. Because I'm thinking, come on, this makes no sense. And you know what I said? Right there, I start rebuking Satan. <laughs> Satan didn't do it. Devil didn't make me do it. I did it. Because I wanted to be free to make that choice. It didn't make sense to me. But there is a reason the sign is there, whether I agree with it or not. Whether I believe it needs to be there or not, it's there. Now, I can write letters to whoever put it there, and I can petition and all, but that's not going to change the need for it to be there. There are things in place for a reason, people. It's not to restrict your freedom. Maybe it's to teach you how to use your freedom. Have you ever looked at it that way? Now, when I go to that Burger King parking lot, It's not worth restricting my freedom. So I make the turn, make the right turn. I still doesn't keep me from being upset at the sign. I have a few words for the sign, but I make the right turn. I make the U-turn, and I do it the right way. It, it, it corrected my perspective. Okay, this is what this is what I need to do. So that's what I'll do, right? You know, we have problems with laws and rules, especially the ones that don't allow us to drive 90 miles an hour on the road. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is that obedience leads to freedom. Yeah. Obedience leads to freedom. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, the Bible says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This was a significant reminder for God's people. The very first thing God said before giving Moses the Ten Commandments was this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now he could have said here's a list of rules and you better obey them or else. He could have said that but that's not what he said. God introduced the law by reminding them that I am your liberator. I freed you. I took you out of 400 years of slavery. You know, there's an interesting quote from um, this book called Soul Keeping by John Offberg. And it says that the Ten Commandments were never designed to be a standalone list of rules. They come within a relational context. They describe what a living, what living up to a certain value and a certain identity and a certain destiny looks like. In fact, in Judaism, they are not called the Ten Commandments. The Hebrew term literally means ten utterances or ten words because they were rooted in things that are meant to be in God's kingdom. They flow out of how we are designed who we were meant to be. I like that because when I think of it that way, when I think of it as this is who I was meant to be. It reminds me of my wedding day. 
When I stood before my wife and I made vows to her and to how I would be in our marriage. I didn't look at this as, all right, now I gotta, we got to talk about a set of rules. No, this is what I'm vowing to do personally in our relationship. Now, that being said, there are already a set of unspoken rules in marriage. I'm going to be faithful to you. I didn't have to say that to her, but I did. Because that's an unspoken rule. I'm going to love you above myself. I'm going to cherish you. There are things that we say because we know that if we're going to maintain any kind of relationship, there has to be boundaries. There has to be rules. And so with God, there has to be boundaries. There has to be rules because in order for us to be who God created us to be, God has to keep us within certain spiritual boundaries. And it's not to restrict our freedom as much as it is to bring out who we were created to be. We were created to be spiritually deep people. And so these ten utterances, these ten words were not to restrict, but they were, they, were, they, were, they were given to identify and separate them from the rest of the world. Because everyone else was living outside of the boundaries. They were living outside of a covenant relationship with God. But God said, no, 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 you're not going to be like the rest of them. Our relationship is different. Our relationship is different. It's unique. And so we may read them as, this is what you have to do, but what God was actually saying is, this is who you are. You are a people of one God. You are an idol-free people. You honor the name of your Heavenly Father. You are holy and set apart for my purpose. You honor your fathers and mothers. You are peaceful and not murderous people. You respect and honor marriage. You are content and don't see the need to steal. You speak the truth to and about your neighbor. You respect your neighbor's property. This is who you are. That's what God was saying on the mountain when he called his people out of, out of slavery. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was God making a statement, not laying down a bunch of rules. Think of it as two types of freedom. There's the freedom from external constraints. You know, someone telling me what to do, someone telling me what not to do. That's the freedom from, right? But then there's another kind of freedom that might be called freedom for. You know, there's the freedom from and then there's the freedom for. The freedom for living the kind of life that I was always meant to live. Freedom for becoming the man that God has always wanted me to be. God gave the Israelites freedom from the restraints and bondage of Egyptian slavery. But then he gave them freedom for living the kind of life that God wanted, to do, wanted them to do. What did God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh? Let my people go, not just so that they can be free and roam the desert. No, let my people go so that they may worship me. Right? Isn't that what God called them out of slavery to be who they were made to be? A spiritual nation. A holy nation. 
a, a holy priesthood. That's what God called us. When God called you out of darkness, he didn't just call you from a life of, of free from addiction. He didn't just call you from a life free from immorality. He didn't just call you from a life free from sin. He called you for. He called you for a life of abundance, a free life, a full life. See, when God calls us from something, he's calling us for something else. Are you willing to live the, God, the life that God called you for? You know, the freedom of our soul needs to be the freedom for becoming the people God designed us to be. Do you feel trapped right now? You know, God reminds us of Jesus Christ that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. The question now is, well, how does our soul get to experience this freedom that it needs? How does it get to, to, to thrive as God has always intended it to be? You know, the, the answer to that question is in a word that is not famous with us. It's surrender. If you want to receive freedom, you've got to surrender. Surrender is not a popular concept. It goes against everything we think we know about being free. Wars are not won by surrendering. The Golden State Warriors did not win the NBA championship by surrendering to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Don't clap. Don't clap. Don't you dare clap. This is a New York Knicks church. Don't make me switch up now. Don't curse it up in here. <laughs> but surrender is the only way to achieve freedom for your soul. Consider these passages here. Psalm 119, 44 says, I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom. For I have sought out your precepts. In James 1, 25, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives what? Freedom. And continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Doesn't that contradict how the world sees Christianity freedom? James says right there, he says, the law gives freedom. This gives you freedom. This is used to break chains, not put chains on you. So if you feel like you're chained in your walk with God, something is amiss. Something is off. Because Jesus didn't come so that we may be slaves to sin. He came so that we may be free. Free for the life that he promised. You know, God's law given to us, it was not given to us by force to obey us a bunch of rules, but to set our souls free so we can live a, a full and blessed life. Sin does the exact opposite. Sin is what enslaves us. So if we feel trapped in our spiritual walk, then is there a possibility that there can be some sin in there and it's not always in our actions. Sometimes it's in the way we think about it. Our walk with God. Self-righteousness is not a good thing. Looking at other people who don't have the Bible as their standard, as you're better than them because your Bible is your standard, that's self-righteousness. I, I, I can very much vouch that Jesus wouldn't feel good about that. Because he got all over the Pharisees about that. There are chapters about that. 
And so self-righteousness is a sin that can very easily have root in our hearts. And if there's self-righteousness in your heart, you're not going to feel free to be the person that God called you to be. You will feel trapped because you're trying to live up to your own expectations and you can't do it. Why is he always late? How come they don't know the Bible like I do? How come they don't pray as long as I do? How come they don't share their faith like I do? How many people have you got in the church? You know, what, 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 what? And then you got that one brother, little sister, trying their best. Trying their best to be the best they can be. But then you got that one brother praying, Lord, I, I thank you that I'm not like him. <laughs> Remember that? Who did Jesus hold up? Not that dude. He held up the guy who had his face to the ground. I don't even deserve to be here. You see, when you got high, we got these unrealistic expectations for everybody else. You can't keep them yourself. Therefore, you're not going to be free. You'll feel trapped. Now, I'm not saying you don't challenge your brothers and sisters to be their best, but Grace is there for a reason. Forgiveness is there for a reason. You know, there are things that are already, people are already dealing with. Alcoholism, that's, the, you know, that's, when, you, when a person is an alcoholic, they're not free to enjoy their sobriety. They're not. They're not free to not drink because they're slaves to this, this drug. And there are other sinful habits but good habits are the habits that free us. But when sin becomes a habit, that's when our soul loses its freedom. And the only way to free your soul is to surrender your sinful habits and replace them with spiritual ones. It's not enough to just stop drinking. Now you've got to do something productive with your life, with your health. You stop cursing, amen for you. Now start speaking the truth. Start using your words to build people up instead of tearing them down. Just, uh, I hadn't told a lie in a whole week. Amen for you. But are you speaking the truth? You see, just because you stop doing something, you've got to replace it with spiritual habits. You know, why are you on time for church? So that you can get held up? So that people cannot look at you with a crooked eye? Or are you at church because you want to be here to give, to worship God with a full heart, with a clear heart, not hurried, not worried, but I am here, Lord, here I am, undivided, ready to be devoted. You know, some people, their motivations come from the wrong places. And that is not freedom. The only way to see your soul freed is to surrender your sinful habits and replace them with spiritual ones. Jesus puts it this way. In Luke 9, chapter 24, we're coming to a close here. Luke 9, 24, verses 25, it says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? You know, another way to read this is like this. For whoever wants to save his soul will lose it. But whoever surrenders his soul for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? 
You see, it's only when we surrender to God and His way that our soul can experience the freedom that God had intended from the beginning of man. When God created man, He gave us the whole world to enjoy, to be free to enjoy, except that one tree that they blew it. But amen, He, he said, look, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden. But even then, God gave us boundaries, except that one. Anything else you're free to do, but don't eat off that tree. So God gave us the boundaries to protect us, not to restrict us. In Galatians 5, verse 1, and we'll close here, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm in sin, I feel it all over my body. Whether it's a sinful attitude, whether it's a sinful disposition, whether it's a sinful act, I feel it. And I don't feel free until I confess, until I get right with the person I wronged. I just, it just feels heavy. It feels like I'm, I'm, I'm chained up. And no one that I know likes to go around like that. No one wants to be held down and, 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 and bounded by sin. So my ploy to you, my encouragement to you is let it go. Let God free you from the bondage of sin. The yoke of slavery can only be broken by the grace and power of God. And that we see more clearly through the power of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are freed from the yoke of sin. We are free for a full life, a blessed life, a forgiven life, a fruitful life, a blessed life, a whole life, an abundant life, a peaceful life, a righteous life, a happy life, a content life, a life that God has always wanted you to be with him. Are you surrendered to his plan for your life? Let's go to God in prayer. Our heavenly God and Father, we accept your invitation to free our souls. God, we pray that you will help us to, to, search, to search our souls, to find the areas where we feel restricted. The areas in our lives where we do feel ensnared and, and enslaved. And we ask that you will help us. That you will help break away those chains so that we can be free to worship you and be the people you called us to be. That we can use our gifts and our talents to give you glory. That we can use our resources. We can use our strength. We can use our minds and our intellect to worship you and to draw others to you to bring you glory. But Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that Jesus made for dying for us on the cross for our sins. For the very purpose of freeing us from the bondage of sin. As we take the bread and as we take the juice that represents the body and the blood that was spilled for our salvation, we ask that you will forgive us and help us to rejoice in our freedom of our salvation. We love and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.